are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode... 497 of the Survival Podcast. It is Monday, August the 23rd, 2010, and I'm sitting on a beach somewhere right now, uh, but I did leave this show behind for you. We have a special uh, show today. Uh, Terry Cooper, America's RV expert, is going to be with us in just a minute. Before I introduce him, though, let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one, as always, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, MERSRadio.com, that is MERS radio.com uh, MERS is just a really great technology. It's unlicensed. That means you don't need any kind of special permit or license or anything, any course to use it. Uh, it's a little bit more private than, you know, family radio frequency or, or anything like that, like little radios you buy in a store, like, uh, you know, like uh, sports stores, like, let's say, uh, Sports Authority or Academy or anything like that. Uh, they have a range of about one to two miles. Uh, you can get them with a base station that can be set up inside your house and run off AC so it's always on. And you have a secondary means of communication. They also have motion detectors. And that way you can combine secondary communication on your property along with security. And I think it is one of the most awesome things that you can do uh, from a communications and security combination standpoint. Pretty affordable to do. Really great equipment and great folks over there at MERS-radio.com. you got a question over there, you're going to get an answer and you're going to get personal attention. What more can we ask for from a sponsor? And they've been with us a long time, man. Been with us over a year. Been taking care of the show and this audience for a long time. Zero complaints. It tells you something. Next up today is a guy I never hear any complaints about, but I hear a lot of really great stuff about, and that's the Berkey guy. The Berkey guy with Berkey Light Water Filtration Systems, available at Directive21.com. Check out the Berkey guy. Fresh, clean water that you can drink. It'll keep you alive. It's something you got to have. And the Berkey guy will help make your water clean and drinkable, whether it's because times are tough or just because you don't like the stuff that comes out of your sink right now today. Uh, so check out the Berkey guy at Directive21.com. Uh, next up, make sure you're connecting with us with Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm sure I'm tweeting and Facebooking right from the beach as we speak so you can see what's going on down there in Florida when I'm just screwing off. Generally, the Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter stuff, though, is to keep you informed. Remember, I am trying to kick Brian Black's ass from ITS Tactical to get more likes than him on Facebook today. You can either go to Facebook and search for the Survival Podcast and go on our fan page and click on I Like This Page at the top, or just go to the survivalpodcast.com. Right up at the top, you'll see a little thing there that says how many people like our Facebook fan. It says like. If you're logged into Facebook on your computer and you just click like there, that's all you got to do, and you'll be following us there. I'd appreciate your help with kicking Brian's butt. He's my best friend, but I also want to kick his butt because he's the one that made the challenge. Uh, last but not least, consider joining the Members Support Brigade. Do that, and you'll get exclusive content available only to members. 
Well, with uh, the housekeeping wrapped up, folks, let's go ahead and bring on our special guest. Uh, today's special guest is Terry Cooper, and you may or may not have heard of him. He's uh, known as the Texas RV professor. He's been actually called America's RV expert. And when you hear him speak today and you take a look at his website, you'll see why. When he began working on a trailer production line uh, for Skyline Corporation in Mansfield, Texas, back in 1972, he began a journey that would take him uh, to where he is today. He's a recipient of the National Scholastic Achievement Award from the Recreational Vehicle Industry Association. That would be the RVIA. A master certified RV technician, a licensed insurance claims adjuster, and is a college instructor at Texas State Technical College in Waco, Texas, for six years there, he trained RV maintenance technicians, and now he teaches solar technology. So we'll probably pick his brain on that a little bit, too. The professor has a sidekick. That's Rody the RV Dog, and together they developed a training program called the Take-Home Technician Series that they use to teach RV consumer do-it-yourself skills to enhance the RV lifestyle. Um, if you uh, take a look at the Take-Home Technician Series, you'll see they've written actually two in-depth repair manuals for troubleshooting and repairing the two major brands of RV water heaters and produced over 16 separate DVDs and video training modules that teach an RV or how to inspect and maintain their RV. Terry is a technical trainer for the uh, Work Camper News, where he produces webinars and training material for the RVer that is looking to go full-time and uh, work on the road. He's also been a featured guest and a technical advisor for two segments of Classic Rides. That's a DIY network series uh, that featured the 1970 Airstream renovation project. The professor's been a guest speaker and lecturer at various consumer RV shows and aftermarket trade fairs. Uh, you can visit his website at www.mobilerveacademy.com. And I'm going to tell you folks, definitely I'm going to put that in the show notes, and you're going to want to check that out. Uh, when Terry first contacted me by email, you know, I'm always like, everybody wants to get on the show. Uh, what does this guy have to offer? When I went and looked at his website, I was blown away by the amount of information he has. So uh, without further ado, Terry, welcome to the Survival Podcast, and thanks for being here, man. Well, Jack, I appreciate it. This has been a real honor. Let me tell you, I've kind of looked forward to this. Well, cool. I mean, we're glad to have you here. You know, I just gave kind of a laundry list there of things that you've done, but why are you actually called America's RV expert? That's a pretty impressive title. Well, it's kind of one of those things you sometimes just stumble into, but oddly enough, what I was doing was a question and answer session that we have we call Ask the Professor. And we had people from all over the country, all over the United States and Canada, and someone just popped off and said, you know, you truly are America's RV expert because you're talking to people from all over the United States and all over America. So I guess the name just kind of stuck. And so something like that, you just don't let it get away. That's great, man. If you get your market to give you a title, that's that's the way to be, uh, better than telling your market who you are. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I'm a new RV owner myself. I bought one about four months ago, I guess now. Um, used them in the past, but this is the first one I've, I had kind of a rinky dink, beat up old jalopy of one years and years ago. First really, you know, one I'm really happy with and own. And I guess I've joined kind of a club now. How big is this uh, RV ownership thing? How many of us are out there? Well, believe it or not, um, if you use the statistics that are coming from RVIA, now these are the guys that are doing the Go RVing campaign, you know, the one that Tom Selleck, you know, narrates and everything and talks about the adventure of RVing. They say that if a family owns a, a vehicle, like a car or a truck, 
one in 12 of them will own an RV. And so we're looking at numbers of about 8.5 million of them out there on the highway. That's amazing. I, I mean, I would have lost some beer money on a bet like that. Um, where are they? I mean, because, I mean, I see a lot of them, but, I mean, you know, I drive through my neighborhood, and I don't see, uh, I guess a lot of people, like, I guess I keep mine in storage, so there's probably a lot of them uh, out of view, and maybe as a someone thinking about prepping, it might be a good idea to do that. Well, you know, you're right. There are a lot of them out there in storage, but if you really want to see a large collection of them, go to, say, down in the valley, down in south Texas in uh, the spring, say, from January to to March, that's where you'll start seeing some serious, serious hardware running up down the highway. And what it is is just all these folks are coming in from Canada, coming down from the northern states. You go over to Florida, down around Tampa and places like that, that's when you really begin to realize how many of these babies are running up down the highway. So there really are a bunch of them out there. There really are. And I guess, I mean, there's more and more people that kind of live this way full time. And that's what, like you're just saying, that's what they do. They're like birds, man. It gets cold and they go south and it gets uh, too hot and they head north. And I guess I can see quite a bit of appeal to that, eh? It really is. But you know what's really strange, though, is that when you really begin to start looking at the numbers, the fastest growing segment is the individuals that are less than 35 years old. Really? That's surprising to me. Uh, you know, the, the largest group that own them right now are, are from, say, 35 to, I'm going to say, uh, about 75. And the average age is about 49 years old. But believe it or not, the, the fastest growing segment, I mean, the folks that have really latched into this thing are 35 years and younger. That's impressive. I mean, I, I guess that means it's, uh, I, well, you know, it doesn't really surprise me that much. There's so many people now that telecommute. Uh, that have flexibility with their schedules and their jobs, and it's that it's that Gen X, Gen Y group that overlap there—the 25 to 45 year old, you know, hitting dead center in the middle at 35—that have the okay. technology know-how and the skill sets that are in those flexible fields. And I mean, I look at doing my show. If I have a, you get one of those satellite dishes you put up on your RV, a good one that you can broadcast with, and I could broadcast out of an RV and, and go anywhere anywhere out there. and I, So I guess that's why that appeal is coming on more with that demographic. You know, do you realize you have just described what we call a work camper? I would guess so, yeah. If you live in an RV and you work, you are a work camper. And I had, to, had a real hard time wrapping my head around that one, but when they shared that with me, I thought, okay, but it's amazing how many people are coming out of what we call the brick-and-stick house and are going into an RV uh, for, you know, a lot of different reasons. And with that, with that mobility, there's a lot of flexibility that comes with that. And we're, we're here on the Survival Podcast. And, you know, we don't talk about survivalism the way the media hypes it up or anything here. But we do talk about preparedness and we talk about, you know, basic preparedness and the fact that some really bad things can happen. And I know that you said that the RV is the number one survival tool. That's a pretty broad statement. Could you chat a little bit more about that with us? Well, Jack, I'll just have to say, uh, truthfully, when you really go back and look at it, and this is something that I've, you know, I've been listening to your podcast and really kind of t- you know, honing in on some things. And when you nailed it and said, you know, that there's five primary components of survival, I mean, that's that's exactly what an RV is all about. You know, we've got to have a place to have the food. In other words, we've got to be able to carry our food stock with us. Uh, we've got to have a place for our water. Now. Believe it or not, these, some of these units have some monster holding tanks, and, of course, they've got an onboard water system. Then if you start looking at, you know, we're going to need some shelter, and that is instant shelter right there. And, 
it's probably more important to the ladies and the children to have a solid place that they can, you know, put their feet down. And that's why I think that that works so well for mom and the kids is to have an RV because everybody has a place for their stuff, if you want to call it that. Um, then, then you talk about fire, you know, and I knew where you were going with it because, you know, we're using it for heating, but we're also using it, you know, for to cook with, and we've got instant instant fire capabilities there because we've got the furnace, we've got the cook stove, and all those things are already built in. And then we look at the security. Now, you know, what I'm seeing is that we're we're seeing a larger group of women come into this industry. For instance, I had been doing uh, some webinars, like we had talked about earlier, for the Work Camper News, and we were doing some live classes and begin to poll the, the folks that were in attendance. Over 65% of them were women. And what we have here is some of these ladies have said, you know what, I'm going to learn how to do this. I don't want to be this helpless babe that's, you know, waiting on somebody to take care of me. And what we're finding is these ladies, believe it or not, can make some pretty good RVers. And uh, uh, I know of a, a couple down in Houston, if you come knocking on the door, you better announce yourself because when they come to the door, they're going to greet you with something that you don't want to have between your eyes. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for a security thing there. I know that I'm I'm a primitive skills guy. I don't talk about a lot of the show because it's so visual. But I'm happy. I mean, when I was a kid and just got, I say as a kid, I just got out of the army. I took three months and I hiked about a 300 mile section of the Appalachian Trail and and lived out there like that. And I've always been into camping. But after I got this thing called married, if I wanted to go camping, camping until I got an RV was either alone with the guys or was getting a hotel or a cabin somewhere in the woods, right? Because the tent thing wasn't happening. I mean, you know, I guess if we have to do without it, she'll do without it. She, she understands what I do and what could happen. But if, if, if things are available, you know, there's going to be a hair dryer and a curling iron where my wife goes. <laughs> and, and the RV has changed that. I mean, we go camping all the time now. And she's happy to be out there. She just wants she's not, my wife's not one of these people that's like ill a bug and won't go out and get sweaty and dirty. She just wants at the end of the day to come home and take a, a as she puts it, a real shower. And to be able to lay down on a real bed. And I guess an R V provides that. And that is a security issue. I mean, because there's a you're a hell of a lot more secure in a in a big rig than you are in a tent on the ground. Well, you know, and let's face it, um it's the home base if they're stable and there's tranquility there, it's a whole lot easier to come home to that. But if they're all upset and things aren't calm and, you know, there's some insecurity, it's pretty hard to keep uh, things tied together, particularly when you've got a little stress going on, you know, with all the trauma that, that may have just happened in your life. So, yeah. I think the mobility helps with security, too, wouldn't you say? Because the thing about your house, and, and we talk about bugging in as being probably the best thing you can do in most scenarios, but... If you think about a house, if you end up in a point where your house is in an area that's dangerous and you need to leave it, it, it stays behind. If your RV ends up in a place that's dangerous and you need to get out of there, you take your house with you. That's right. That's right. And, you know, here again, like I was talking about the two ladies that I know down in Houston, uh, when when they do the bug out, I'm here to tell you, when they fire up that engine on that motorhome that they have, there are all types of hardware mounted inside that rig. There's all kinds of food stock and tools and seeds. And, you know, as I was talking to one of them the other day, she was sharing with me, we have this, this, and this. And I'm thinking, my gosh, what kind of weight are you hauling around on that thing? But like you said, when they're ready to bug, 
they're ready to go. They really are. I think there's a huge advantage there. And what I'm going to actually want to do, I'm going to want to have you on the show more than once because I think you have more information I could ever get out of you in an hour. Um, so I'm going to want to bring you back on in the future to talk about specific applications for survivalists. But we got a lot of people out there that are considering an RV, you know, and, and their, their first RV. And, I mean, they got to get step one. Finding one without buying the wrong one because it can be a very expensive mistake. You know, making some decisions on newer use. So let's say I've decided to purchase an RV as one of our survival tools. How do we go about getting the right one for the needs of our individual families? Well, let me play back a conversation that I have, and when I say this without any exaggeration, numerous times at these RV shows and and, out, and activities is that, I have people walk up to me and say, you know, what, what kind of RV should I buy? And I'm looking at this person, and I know nothing about them. But there's basically five different questions that I'll ask, and pretty soon, if you ask them in the right way, it begins to get their wheels rolling, and so therefore, they can start to make this right decision, that one that works for them. And that's what I call the five things you need to know before you buy an RV. And when you start stepping through these things with these folks, you can see the wheels turning, and you begin to realize they're they're – taking a look at their lifestyle, they're taking a look at what kind of RVs they've been looking at, and they're putting the two and two together. And that's what you want. You want to make sure a person is comfortable in what they got and make sure it fits their lifestyle and their needs. So, like, what would you say the first question is a person needs to ask themselves when they're when they're going through those five questions about which RV is right for me? Because I know what you're saying. I get people all the time, well, should I buy a house here or there? Man, I don't know. you gotta, we got to look at your life and figure it out. So what's kind of step one in making that determination? Crazy as it sounds, what do you and your family enjoy doing? And, and we're not even talking survival. We're not even talking, you know, vacation. But what do you and your family enjoy doing? In other words, what activities are fun to you? Because what we've got to look at is that, you know, is this something that you're going to be using it for long family vacations? Uh, are you going to try to, you know, visit different places? Are you going to be taking these mini vacations where maybe you take a three- or four-day weekend and, and go places? Um, and, and this is something that really applies to those that are 35 years and, and younger is that, you know, they're very active and they want to be involved with their toys, you know, their motorcycles, their four-wheelers, their jet skis, snowmobiles, and that sort of thing. So, you know, you have to ask them, what, what is it you enjoy doing? And then you want to look at those people that are saying, okay, are you going to be living in this thing full-time or is this just something you're going to, you know, enjoy as a, as a recreation? Because the reason why we're talking about enjoying it for relaxation is that you want to make sure this investment, you get the maximum bang out of this investment that you've got here. So that way you're using it for recreation, but you know what? It's your backup plan. And, you know, that's what we're all about here. It's our backup plan for the next situation that crops up. What I've already learned with mine is that you really need to think about how much time you're going to spend in it. We have a little hybrid. It's a, a Shamrock 21SS. So it's actually got a lot of floor space compared to uh, anything in that twenty short 20-foot range because the beds come down from the sides. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But mm -hmm. I love it for the three-, four-day excursion, and that's what we do. But I wouldn't want to try to live in that rig. That's not a live-in rig for us. It's a, it's a bounce around, go to Arkansas for a week, come home, be home for a month, take off. I wouldn't want to try to travel the country in, in, in that little towable, I'd want a hell of a lot more space. And what I've learned already with RVs is the same thing I learned early on as a boat owner. However big you think you need, you probably should go one size bigger. 
uh, as long as you can deal with get, you know backing it up and stuff like that. Um, because whatever you, th- however much space you think you have when it's empty on the showroom floor, as soon as you and three kids get into it, all that changes. Yes, it does. And you don't really appreciate it until you have a nice, stormy, rainy day, you know, and everybody's yeah. locked inside. But, you know, statistically, we know that if a family latches on to the RVing lifestyle, they will, in their lifetime, purchase seven RVs. No wonder it's a good market to be in. <laughs> well, but like you just described a while ago, you had a pop-up. And then you've now moved on. And so sounds like you're what, in RV number two? Two. 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 Okay. It's two, but I wouldn't really count my first one. My first one was years ago, and it was $500. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the one I have now is, like I said, like it's like a, it's called a hybrid, you know, and it's, uh, it's nice. We'll probably have it for several years at least. But uh, I can see eventually once we're out of here, uh, we're, we have a big move planned. And once we make that move and we're out of the city and I have the space to store a bigger rig on site, We'll probably be looking at something bigger. So you're right. Upgrade is the, is kind of the way people go. Right. Yeah, they do. But you know, the other thing is, and you and you hit the nail on the head while ago, and you were talking about your wife. You know, we've got to look at the number two thing, and that's what features and options do we want this thing to have. You know, some people think a toilet is a luxury. Uh, others, no, it's a must-have. You know, and let me just tell you, in this part of the country here in Texas, if we don't have air conditioning, it isn't going to happen. You know. Talk about irritability, we will have that. So, you know, we have to start looking at, you know, what kind of features, what kind of options do we want this thing to have? So, okay, we've got to ask ourselves what do we want to do to enjoy it? What do we, you know, what recreation do we have? And then features and options, what is it, you know, we want this thing to do for us? Um, I have found over and over again, if we have a family of kiddos, each child needs their own little space. And usually that works out real well when they each have their own little bunk. Sure. It's just something about, you know, that, that personal space. And so that's what we want. And I always encourage mom and dad, you probably need to get a unit that has a door that can be closed because sometimes mom and dad just need to spend some time together. For whatever reason, that door needs to be closed, and they need to have their alone time. Um, now, my friends down in Houston, and I keep bringing them up because I, I look at them and I think, they've got this thing nailed, which, by the way, I want to tell you, when I was telling them that we were, were going to be visiting with you, she told me, she's Terry, I've listened to this guy faithfully. So let me just tell you. you got That's awesome, fans. man. <laughs> you got some fans in Houston, let me tell you. So, But, you know, um, I will tell you that underneath that, that king-size bed that's in that back bedroom, there's probably more armor than anybody would ever want to carry. So, You know, it makes me think. Remember the old movie? Um, what was it? Bill Murray was in it. Uh, Stripes. Yeah. Where they had the armored RV. I want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you could just make it to where it was dependable. So Correct. when you wanted the sidewalls to drop down, you could. But, yeah. you know. That's not always the case. Uh, the other thing is, is, you know, we're going to need, depending on what your food stock needs are, you know, if it's just one or two people, obviously you're not going to need as much. But, you know, if you're feeding a family of three, four, whatever, you know, you're going to need more inventory. And so you're going to need more space to carry all that. Um, now, there's a great debate about these onboard generators. And I, here again, let me just say, if you do, you do. And if you don't, you don't. And that's still up to you. Uh, I liked what you said in your episode 401 where you were talking about, and, and I know the people that you purchased your RV from. I, I, I've dealt with them before. They're good people. But I will also say that, you know, uh, they've got product to sell. 
Correct. And, Correct. Uh, and that's what I was trying to say. They weren't bad. If they were bad folks, I wouldn't have dealt with them and bought from them. But their, their generator recommendations, I could have ran a small city with the generator they wanted to sell me for, you know, a 20-foot RV. Now, what did you say the wattage was on that thing? It was that they were trying to say, what, 7,500 watts? I believe it was 8,500 watts. And that was the running watts. I think the peak on it was like 9,200 or something like that. I mean, I could run most of my house. With, with that, with that gen mm-hmm. set, you know, and it wasn't a bad generator. It's a great generator, and it was a low dB noise generator, which you know doesn't really, which goes a long way to not bother neighbors that are around you, and that's a good thing too. It was just overkill for the application. Right, right. Well, I mean, let's face it. That Shamrock that you have is a 30 amp service. So I mean, we're talking what 3600 watts. Correct. That's and uh, there's nothing. You turn everything on in there. That's all it's got to pull, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, unless you've got an external control panel that you're pulling off of that generator, um, that's a whole lot more generator than you need. Correct. And, you know, we do, a, we do a webinar on the three RV electrical systems, and it's amazing how little we know about a lot of these RV systems that are out there. You know, people just take for granted that, you know, we, if there's a, a receptacle available, we can plug into it. They don't realize we've got to have a little energy management here because there's only so much available to us. You know, there's a perfect example of that I, I give you. that, And to be fair to the folks I'm on the RV from, the orientations where I learned this, there's, there's a certain amount of, of draw that, 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 that the, uh, the system uses. And like you said, it's 30 amps. Well, if you turn the electric hot water heater on and the, uh, the air conditioner on at the same time, you're drawing 37 amps. Well, that can't happen. No. So, so you can't run both of them at the same time. So you want to take a hot shower and leave the air conditioner on. You need to use the propane, or you can shut the AC off and just run the fans. But you can't run the electric. And that's something I think people. You're right. People are going to be surprised because we're in this uh, consumer world where, hey, if there's a switch and I flip it, the lights come on. That's right. That's and all of a sudden we're going self-contained and we're not tied to the electrical grid and we've got a smaller breaker system and. You can't just run everything all at once. That's right. You know, my wife is doing, uh, and as a matter of fact, she wrote uh, the RV Centennial Cookbook, and it's, it's you know, because this year is the 100th anniversary of RVing. And so she put together a cookbook, and the number one thing that she wanted to go through in the very beginning of a webinar that she did was talking about just because you've got a, a receptacle there in the kitchen doesn't mean that you can hook uh, the George Foreman into it and the crock pot and the coffee pot and all these other things. Because you just don't have the availability. There's just not enough energy coming to you to, to handle all that. And you can probably run any of them, but you can't run all of them at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, you're over here flipping circuit breakers, let me tell you. So, um, I, you know, and this sounds terrible, but I, having worked as a mobile technician, I've gone to people's homes, to their RVs, because they were set up in a camp and they couldn't break camp to come in, and so they dispatched us. And just to knock on their door was 65 bucks. And then there was a one-hour minimum, and in that particular time, I think the shop that I worked for was charging 110 bucks. So for $175 just to knock on their door and then go inside and find out that all they had was a trip circuit breaker. Mm. Mm. Now, you know, that leaves a bad taste. And so that's why I say, you know, you need to know how to use these features and options because if you don't, you're going to be very surprised when some guy's having to knock on your door and he's going to look at you and say, uh, we need to reset that GFCI switch, or here's let's turn off yeah. the circuit breaker and turn it back on. Yeah, and I want to I want to move on with you to your next your next uh, point, your point three. 
uh, on what you need to know before you buy. But I want to also speak out as a businessman in defense of the RV technicians, RV companies out there with what you just said, because a lot of people that have never run a business don't understand. The reason it's $175 for me to send a guy like you out to knock on their door and flip a couple switches is i got to pay for that truck to roll. i got to pay your salary, and there's not a lot of people – out there in total numbers, body count that are qualified to do that kind of work. Cause you have to go work on, you know, 20 different models, 20 different makes, all these different, and you have to be good at what you do to have that job. So it's a reasonable paying job. And whether I have you out there for two hours or one, uh, I got to pay to get you there, get you home, and I got to pay your salary. So, so it's a, it's a good idea to have some basic knowledge. It's another thing I've learned is that you really want to become kind of the master of your own vehicle and know all the systems and rely on professional help when necessary, not for every little nitpicking thing. Right, exactly right. Okay, so after we've talked about what do we like to do as far as recreation, then we talk about the features and options we want. Let's start talking about the different types that are out there because we need to know what's available. You know, it's kind of like going to a buffet. If you don't know what's available at the buffet, how do you know what you're going to get? And honestly, Jack, you know, as you know, they break these things down into two segments. They either have a motor or that you tow them. It's one way or the other. Now, there's subcategories under each one of those, but they either have a motor and you drive the thing uh, or you're, you're towing it around behind you. And, of course, like your shamrock, it's a towable. So, Correct. You know, Correct. And I've learned there's, some, there's advantages and disadvantages to both sides of that. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, see, I see RVs like beer. Okay. You, know, you, remember, you remember that beer commercial where they used to have the shouting match where they would say, you know, tastes great, and then somebody else would yell back says less filling? Correct, correct. More like. It's the same way, you know. Some people say motorized is the way to go, and others say, no, no, towable is the way to go. And, hey, you know what? It can go either way. It just depends on what is your lifestyle, what are you trying to accomplish with this thing, you know. I mean, because if you're looking at the motorized, there's basically only three different types. It's what we have, the Class A, which is the big motorhome, and it could be something as expensive as, you know, $1.2 million, like, like those guys that have that, that motor home that you drive down the highway, then when you come to the lake, you can drive off into the ramp and it turns into a motorized yacht. You know, if that's what you want, you can have that. However, I don't quite see that as a survival vehicle that I need, but maybe they do, you know? Sure. But typically when you think about a Class A, it's, it's a motor home. It's a frame that they built the box on. And I always tell my students, it's, it's A stands for all. All of the box. All of the frame is covered with that box. And so there's different price ranges there. I mean, nobody, you know, not everybody can afford a million-dollar coach, but there's a lot of good ones out there for, you know, 100000 200000 something like that. And, you know, maybe even a little less than that if you buy used. Which sounds now, extremely expensive, but if a person's full-time RVer and they live in there, it's a lot less than a lot of people spend for very modest homes. Exactly, exactly. Or you try to stay in hotels, particularly some of the oh. nice hotels. Yeah. Oh. It's, you know, that's, let's not even go there. Um, then, you know, we start looking at what we call the Class B. Now, it's kind of squirrely the way they set this up, but a Class B is really nothing more than a van that's been converted. And, you know, the Germans would call their Volkswagen, you know, remember the, the micro bus that they used to have? Well, that, Correct. That would be a, that'd be a Class B. And typically, a Class B is going to be a little easier to drive at a motorhome because it's going to be a van. And I know some folks that actually use it as a second vehicle to drive back and forth to work. Now... You know, if that's their lifestyle, that's the vehicle they chose to do. There's a little tighter living quarters in it. You don't have a lot of extra space. But if it's one or two people, uh, that's doable. And, you know, you can put it in places that you couldn't put a big motorhome. But, you know, that's what a Class B is all about. Then you look at a Class C, and that's probably what more people are familiar with. If they don't see the big motorhome, they're going to see a Class C. And 
I can tell my students, just imagine that you've got a one-ton truck that somebody whacked it off behind the cab, behind the driver, and then the box is behind the driver. And basically, you know, that's Class C. And you're going to see a wide variety of styles and floor plans in these babies. But here again, you know, they're going to have more space in a Class B and not quite have as much as the big Class A. The advantages that you've got with it, you know, there's a wide price range. There's a lot more space in a Class C. Disadvantages, um, unfortunately, if you're on the road, whether you be whether you're in a Class A or a Class B or Class C, that might be your only vehicle that you have. And in order to go to town or go someplace, break camp, whatever, you've got to take your home with you. And so, you know, from that aspect, there's a few disadvantages, but some people say it outweighs, you know, the towable. Yeah, and I mean that was one of the things I, I thought about is um, if I get a something I'm going to drive around in and live in at the same time, I'm going to have to tow a vehicle with me because I sure as heck don't want, especially like a Class A, be going to McDonald's in one of those, right? Not that I go to McDonald's anyway. I'm just making a point. That's not a good thing to be have. And, and, and even when you're towing something, you, there's certain roads that you have to go down in some of these remote campgrounds. You're like, man, I sure hope this is the right road and it doesn't end in a dead end because I don't know how the hell I'm going to turn this thing around. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, you have to tow. I mean, basically with these bigger rigs, if they're drivable for flexibility, you're going to want to tow something like a small car or a Jeep or something with you. Mm-hmm. I saw something. I don't know if you maybe – you had to have come across this. Uh, but I saw at the last RV show I went to one of these huge, like, half-million-dollar coaches, and it was kind of set up like a toy hauler in the back. But you know what they had inside it? A smart car inside the motor coach. <laughs> It was hey, crazy. It, you drove it onto a thing, and it, it was sideways, like it was parallel parked behind it, and this little th- this thing like lifted up and went inside, and it, you carried the car inside the RV. And, of course, you had the space available. Whenever you were stopped, you could basically mm-hmm. use it as empty storage space. And I, I thought, it, you know, I'm not breaking out 500 grand in an RV probably ever in my life, but I did think it was kind of a neat thing because the car was actually inside, protected, contained, and from a security aspect, no one even knows you have it. That's true. That's true. Well, you know, a lot of the NASCAR drivers and, and, the, and the racing teams like that, they'll have what we call the Super C, which is basically looks like a giant U-Haul truck that's all dolled up. You know, it's got that big box back there. And what they, a lot of times they'll do, they'll have a workshop back there. Wow. And when they when they push that button and that tailgate comes down and that door opens, all of a sudden, like you said, something rolls out. You think, wow, how fast does it go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, with a smart car, it doesn't go very fast. And I, I, I'll tell you what, I, I'm all on fuel-efficient vehicles. I drive this little Jetta whenever I get my opportunity to. I love driving a car. But smart cars, I think you're like you're kind of out there on the highway feeling like you're in a golf cart. I mean, if you get hit with a motorcycle, you're probably dead. But let's move on to towables. Um there's a couple different types of towables, right? Well, there's several, as a matter of fact. And believe it or not, a truck camper is a towable. Now, that's the thing that you slide in the back of a pickup. Now, we don't see them so much down in the southern part of the United States. You see those more in the northern up in Canada because of a lot of folks go up into the logging uh, roads and logging areas up in the mountains. And so you'll see more of a, a, a truck camper because, you know, you'll probably have high clearance because you have maybe a four-wheel drive, so that thing's pretty high off the ground. Here again, it's kind of like that Class B. It's kind of tight in space, but it works very well for a lot of people. Better than ten. But believe it or not, they call that a, that that is a towable. I would have never known that. That's cool. 
Now, there's the other one. Now, like I say, now this is just a step up above a 10, and you were talking about that a while ago. And depending on what part of the country you're in uh, and where you're from determines what we call it. Some people call it a folding tent trailer. Others call it a pop-up or a pop-out or folding camping trailer. But basically, it's just a trailer that, in most situations, when you crank that thing up or you pop the lid on that thing, uh, you've got canvas walls, and, and if you're lucky, you have an air conditioner in there. And believe it or not, some of them even have restrooms in there. You know, they have a toilet and a shower. Now, you know, you're going to pay a little extra for that one, but that's kind of what we call your entry-level type towable. If I could say something on those, the advantage is to me is that they're very lightweight. So I can I, you can tow one of those with a, with a good car, exactly. um, where even a small travel trailer is tough to tow with certain vehicles. But they are not as easy to set up as the smiling guy at the RV show says they are. <laughs> In the words of my, my very good friend, Hal Dodd, we bought a pop-up, and we set it up, which was easy, and then we put it away to come home, and to avoid getting a divorce on my next camping trip, I traded up. Because <laughs> he said it was putting Smart it man. away where he was like, I'm never doing this with my wife again. Well, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know, it's kind of like a tinker toy set. You know, you've got sticks and braces and everything else going every direction, but once you get it mastered, it's amazing. And I think if he had more patience, he might have, but he he said divorce was imminent if they had to go through that again. So they moved up. They moved up to just a basic travel trailer, which is kind of the next step up and, and has some more advantages, right? It does. And honestly, the number one RV that's out there on the road right now is a travel trailer. And it's a hitch pull, you know, where it pulls behind. Um, and it's, it's usually the price range because right now in today's market, the average price of an RV that's being financed or is being purchased new is about $35,000. And so, you know, and most people are going into a travel trailer because it gives them a lot more space, a lot more bang for the buck because you can have a slide out and all the other features with it. So... Travel trailers is probably the number one thing that you're seeing for families and maybe a couple. And, well, you know, like your hybrid, that's really what we would classify a travel trailer, but they went ahead and added some other features. So that way you could have, what do you have, three, four slide-outs on that thing? Here's, I actually have one slide-out, and that slides okay. out for the living area. And that that was like, we looked at one that was almost the same floor space and everything and had the same drop-downs for the, for the uh, beds. But when we looked at the the added floor space and thought of if, with me and my wife and there's one thing, but when other folks come with us or the kids with us, we went, man, the floor space is just amazing. What happens that you pop it out four feet, but that four feet is the length of the trailer, and it is a tremendous difference when you're already in small scale. Now our beds aren't really pop outs; they're drop downs, so okay. the beds are kind of tented in. And one thing we learned very early on is. They're very quick and easy to set up and drop down. I mean, you can have the beds down and up in two minutes apiece. So during the day, if it's hot and we're running the A.C., we close those things up. And we reduce the airspace to cool, not just using the windows, because the A.C. works about a 1,000 times better during the day when it's hot out, and we're not trying to push air off into those tents, because they don't insulate the way the walls do. It's amazing how creative we become with things like that, isn't it? <laughs> Closing things off and blocking. And so, no, that, that makes perfect sense when you think about it. What you're trying to do is because it's an area that you're not going to be in, so why not, why air condition it? So. Absolutely. You can go from like little ones like mine to even the, the, the travel trailers. There's some pretty big rigs that have multiple pop-outs and a lot more floor space, right? And you can go 
price range from ten grand to a hundred grand just on a travel trailer. Very easy, very easy. Because it's, you know what the big question they look at you is you know what features do you want this thing to have, and they can they can stick it on there. If you've got the money, they can put a feature or an option on that thing for you. There's just no way around it, but they they can do it. And what about moving up to like a fifth wheel? Well, believe it or not, now a fifth wheel is is probably one of your more um, how do I say this? Probably one of your more popular units for your full timers. You'll typically see a fifth wheel unit that are a big class a big class A motorhome. It's going to be the two that your full timers. And the reason being is because of the space. Sure. And you know if you look at that fifth wheel, you've got a lot of cargo area underneath that underneath that uh, that goose there. And so there's a lot of things that contribute to it. Personally, that's that's really the vehicle of my choice. My wife is, you know, she's owned uh, a big old 37-foot Sierra. So she's into that stuff. And she, you know, of course, now here's a lady that graduated from a pop-up, and all of a sudden she's in a big, you know, huge Sierra. So she thought she had moved into a palace when she <laughs> was living in it. But here again, I like the fifth wheel because, you know, because of the weight distribution issue, because you're putting that weight over the rear axle of your tow vehicle. Correct. Correct, definitely. So, you know, and that, that cuts down a lot of sway control, or cuts down a lot of sway issues. You don't have to worry about all the sway control units. And then also, if you really need to, you can turn that thing in some pretty tight, you know, radiuses if you need to get into some tight areas. So a fifth wheel works real well in that aspect. I've also found it because of that radius, anything, and I've towed all types of trailers throughout my life, anything with a fifth wheel attachment, even if it's the same pickup truck versus a hitch, when it comes to backing into places, much easier to do, much easier to learn. And if you're going to, folks, if you're going to have one of these things, you want both adults and you know, all drivers to be able, maybe there's one person that does it most of the time, but everybody will be able to do it in case somebody has to because people get hurt, they get in injuries, and they, you need to have everybody that can drive capable of driving with it. Much easier to teach somebody to back up when they've never learned to back anything else up before. It's you get more control, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You, you can do. feel it more. You, you feel it more, if that makes sense. Now, in the in that towable section, we've also got what we call really the specialty group, and this is really kind of the new emerging market that we're seeing. And you were talking about a while ago toy haulers. Now, you can have a toy hauler that can be a hitch pull or it can be a, a fifth wheel or, like we were talking about a while ago, the Class C. You know, basically, this is what I'm seeing of more and more of the folks that are turning that into their, their bug-out vehicle is a toy hauler because it'll have that storage area in the back. They've got a you know, place they can put their stuff and still have living quarters up front. Sure. Now, depending on the model, you know, I've seen some of them where you fold the bunks up against the wall and you bring the, you know, the four-wheeler in the middle right there in the living room. And here again, it's just floor plan. How is it laid out? And then I've seen other toy haulers that basically they've got two separate compartments. You've got your storage area that's contained, and that's where you're going to have your shop or whatever it is you're doing out there. And then, of course, you've got your living quarters. But like I say, you know, we were talking about a while ago, the young ones, the, the folks that are 35 years and, and younger, that's typically the vehicle that they're going after is the toy hauler. When we were in Tennessee, we were at a place that's kind of really an off-road type place. I mean, that's what it's for is our, you know, four-wheelers and stuff like that. And, boy, they were out there in force. And uh, we were told that, like, two weeks prior to when we were there, there was a big, like, uh, rally. 
and that every RV hookup on the mountain was was set up with a toy hauler that week. And, uh, you know, these guys, some of these guys are carrying two or three uh, four-wheelers in the back of one of these things. And I talked to one guy, and basically he's doing what you said. They've got all of this uh, equipment back there, but as soon as they got where they were going and set up and they pulled those out, then all the stuff that was kind of clutter but day-to-day living stuff, it moved back into that space until it was time to go again. So there's yeah, flexibility yeah. there with that space. Mm-hmm. You know, now, what's usually what I would classify as a very unusual up-and-coming unit is the horse trailers. Now, I know people laugh when I start talking about it. I said, but what better vehicle to be inconspicuous and fit into the environment than have a horse trailer that has living quarters up front and a place for your ponies and your stuff in the back? Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, imagine a lot of guys on rodeo use those things. I mean, let's face it, they live in that thing, you know, 24-7. Yeah. And and it works for them, and you've seen them where they're pulling around with those big old Dodge trucks, you know, the big diesel engines in them. And so what we're looking at there is that the horse trailer is really kind of coming on. It surprised me how well it's been accepted. But when you open the door and look inside, I mean, you can have all kinds of features and options inside that thing. So That's cool. And, I mean, I guess if you're taking your horses with you, you always have a mode of transportation independent of petroleum. I guess. But, you know, it's what's, what's your lifestyle, you know? Sure. If, if ponies are the way to go, then that's what you want to take with you. But, you know, if you look at all those things, you, it all comes back to the dollar. You better take a look at number four, which is basically our budget, you know? How much money do you have to spend? And let's, let's lay our cards on the table, folks. We're not trying to bust the bank here, and we're not, gonna, we're not going to circumvent this debt-free thing that we're after because that's our number one goal is to stay out of the debt. So let me just tell you this real quick. Um, anytime that you go to a place and they're trying to get you to buy more and more and more and, and finance it, step back. Step back from the emotional and take a serious look at it because there's other ways to do this. And if you do it right, it's amazing how you can come into one of these things without having to, to bust your budget. There really is. I guess that if a lot of people go through an average of seven RVs in their life, when they decide to move up in RV, they generally don't, you know, wad it up in a ball and throw it away in a hole in the ground. They trade it in, and that means there's probably a pretty dadgone good secondary market out there if you know what to look for. And you've done some work to help people get better at knowing what to look for, right? I have. As a matter of fact, um, I had a banker call me. And this is kind of one of those things where you just kind of stumble into it and, you know, you just didn't realize where the market was. But I had a banker contact me. He said, Mr. Cooper, he said, what I don't understand is is about this RV business you guys are in. He said, I will loan money to folks to buy a brick-and-stick home. And he said, I'll loan them $100,000, $200,000, but I'm going to require them to give me a home inspection. He said, how come we can't require the same thing on an RV inspection? And I'm thinking, well, yeah. And then I was at a uh, at one of the shows, and somebody walked up, and I was talking to was talking to the group about becoming an RV inspector, and you know using that as a secondary career to make money inspecting for individuals and banks. And he said, "I really don't want to do this for other people. I just want to do it for myself. I want to know what I'm looking for and what to look for and what to not look for." And so it really kind of opened my eyes and realized that people can can make a serious mistake in just a few minutes if they don't know what they're looking for. And so for that reason, I went ahead and put together a little training course. It's about four hours long. Uh, we'll be doing a live segment in October of, of 2010, but we'll also put it on DVD. And basically, it walks people through things that they need to know and things they need to look at 
when they're doing this inspection, besides the pretty curtains and the nice carpet. And uh, I like I always tell them, say, look, when you first walk into an RV, the first thing you want to do is take a deep breath. What do you smell? If you smell mold and mildew, <laughs> that's bad news, man. <laughs> get out. Yeah. Well, and smoke. I mean, if you're a yeah. non-smoker and you're looking at an RV that was used by a heavy smoker that smoked indoors, it it can be done eventually, but it is a lot of work to get smoke stink out of anything, especially anything that's closed in like an RV or a vehicle. Absolutely. That's yeah. I don't know why people do it to themselves, but I've been in some used ones where you're like, nope. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was a no-brainer, wasn't it? When you're yeah, smoking. I mean, if you're a smoker, I guess you don't care if you smoke indoors all the time. But if you're a non-smoker, I mean, it just hits you in the face, and it won't go away. <laughs> now we need to look at this thing. You know, new is not always the way to go. Sometimes sure. our budget doesn't always handle it. We have to go used. But now, one of the downsides with an RV is is that they're like a vehicle, they're like a car, or a pickup. Is that there's pretty hefty de- uh, depreciation. And particularly on that first year, we take a pretty monster hit, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, 20%, 25% that first year is a pretty good lick to take between the eyes on, on the cost of it. So if you really begin to look at it and say, okay, I want to have more features, I want to have more options, but I just don't have the budget for it, maybe you need to step down to a little bit older unit, say two, three, maybe four years old. It's amazing you're now looking at a rig that's, maybe valued at 60, 50, 60% of what it had been. And so now it's getting in your budget range that you can afford, and you get all the features and benefits that you were looking for. And, I mean, as long as you know the condition it's in when you buy it, and I think that your your course on how to inspect an RV is something that anybody that's going to be dropping 30, 40, 50 grand on an investment like this should seriously consider taking. But if you know what to look for and you can determine either everything's in good repair or the things that aren't know the cost of the repair, it's a lot of money that stays in your pocket versus going to the pocket of a dealer, right? Absolutely. Now, I will tell you, and we use a term in the industry, we call them putter butts. And a putter butt <laughs> is an old man that doesn't have anything to do except he just tweaks and works on everything. I want to buy his RV because you know it's been maintained. So, <laughs> What do you call that again? Putter butt. A putter butt, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, and so that's, that was a term we used to use in the industry. When somebody bring a rig in and say, well, is he a putter butt? And if, if they shake their head and say, yes, well, then you knew you got a good trade-in, you know. But if it's no, no, it, then you know, okay, better walk away from that one because. And probably hundreds, probably hundreds or even thousands of dollars in little modifications those guys do that then you don't have to, you get, you pay less and you get all the mods you would do yourself done by somebody else if you know what to look for, right? Absolutely. And so here again, going through and knowing what you're looking for, but you know, before you go in there, you got to do your homework. You've got to know what you want so that way when the little radar goes off and say, oh, it's got it, then you can say, okay, it has the features and options I'm looking for, but does it, is it been maintained? Is it going to work? And if it doesn't, then, you know, you take these checklists that I'll give you, and what will happen is, is you'll take that checklist and sit down with the buyer and say, well, it's a nice-looking rig, but we've got this problem, and we've got this one, and it's going to cost me this to get it fixed. Well, all of a sudden now, you've got a little bargaining power. Sure. You know, and so that's what we're after is to, to make sure that our listeners here realize that you don't have to pay retail for this stuff, that you can buy it. Now, I always tell everybody, do your due diligence. Go on the Internet and look at NADA or the Kelly Blue Books, and that's what you want to do to find out what that thing is really worth. So, 
Then the other thing is, when you finally get this baby, don't take it home till you know how it operates. And I will tell you, I have been at dealerships that a walkthrough, and that's what we call it, a walkthrough or a show out was basically, here it is the keys and we'll see you later, baby. Thank you very much for your business. And that's not what you're after. You want to go through that thing. And I've had, and, and quite honestly, I had some dealers here in Texas that came to me and they said, Terry, can you please put me together uh, uh, a video owner's manual? And I'm thinking, okay, why? And they said, and like one guy told me, he said, look, I've got my service techs out there in the shop working. We sold a rig, let's say, like on Thursday or Friday. Tuesday morning, we're getting a phone call from this consumer because we blew them away with so much information, and they're just totally you know, bewildered on how to do things. If I could just give them something that they could pop in their DVD player and they could watch it, it might answer a lot of the questions that they're asking my technician and pulling them off of the shop floor that I've got. And so that's why I did what we call Know Your RV, a guided tour. And basically, I take you through how a travel trailer and a fifth wheel operate. And believe it or not, once you get past the seats of a motorhome, everything behind it is pretty much the same as a travel trailer or a fifth wheel. And so, you know, learn how that thing works. And, and But that was the first DVD I put together because there was just so much question and, and saying, I don't understand how this works. How do I do this? How do I do that? And, you know, if you can put some information in people's hand, you can take that fear away. And that's what we're after right there. We really are. And there's like certain things with it are things that we don't think about because an RV refrigerator isn't necessarily like the refrigerator in your house. And an RV stove isn't necessarily like the refrigerator in your house. A water heater isn't quite like so. People think, well, I don't need to, to know how these appliances work because I've been working a refrigerator all my life. I open it, I pull the beer out, I close the door. What more do I need to know? It ain't quite the same with an RV now, is it? Not at all. Well, just just write this one on the wall. For every minute that an RV refrigerator door is open, it takes it one hour for it to recover. Wow. People are out there prowling around getting their beer and the soft drinks out, and they've got that door open more than a minute. It's going to take that thing an hour to recover. So it's a little slower than a compressor type because this thing doesn't have a compressor. It actually uses... As you said in, in, in some of your other, other other episodes, you talked about we're using propane or we're using electric heat, and that's what we do to make refrigeration is use the heat. It blew me away when I brought my RV home the first time, and I turned the, the you know, I just got my orientation from the guy that I bought it from. He did a very good job with that. And because it was so much information, I basically came home and did plugged it in and did everything again before I took it off storage. And I turned the refrigerator on and left it on and I went back in like an hour and it wasn't cold in there. It wasn't even <laughs> it wasn't even a little bit cold in there. It takes no. when it's when it's red hot, you know, it ain't been it's been out in the sun and you first turn it on, it's a day before that thing cools off. And I think that is one perfect example of that's not what we're accustomed to. When I bought my newest refrigerator that I bought from, from Lowe's, the guys came, they brought it in the house, we plugged it in, a half hour later you can throw beer in there and chill it. And it just doesn't work the same now, does it? Not at all. Not even close. But if you know these things, you can kind of adjust for them, you know. And um, those of you that are interested, I, I think I've got a, a YouTube video that we talk about stocking your refrigerator. So, hey, take a look at it. It's on YouTube. Just look up the Texas RV professor, and, hey, that one's on me. But let me just say this, and, and this is something that surprises a lot of folks, and, and really I have proven it over and over again. 
80% of the things that are wrong with an RV are things that we can fix ourselves if somebody would just show us, give us a little bit of knowledge. Because these 80% of the things are typically easy to access and easy to fix, but you just need to know, what do I do next, you know? And so I have a brother-in-law that bought an RV, and he called me. He said, Terry, I need some help. He said, I, I, I can't get this to work, can't get that to work. And he said, I hope I didn't get taken. And I went over, and we got to looking at it, and I said, Ken, would you mind if I filmed you? I'd like to film as we go through all these different appliances. He said, sure. So that's what we did for a better part of a, a long weekend is I made four DVDs, which are RV maintenance. We did one on the air conditioner. We did one on the furnaces and the water heater and the refrigerator. Just walking through, here's how you service it. Here's how you clean it. Here's how you maintain it. Because if you can do those things, it's amazing how you can extend the life of these units. It really is. You know, I think I agree completely with you, and you've got a lot of great stuff there. And a lot of what you're talking about, it makes me think of a comedian by the name of Ron White. And Ron White has this bit that he does on RVs, and he's like, he's got his scotch and his cigar, and he's like, I'll tell you what RV stands for. It stands for Ruins Vacations. And I think if if you're not in touch with how to do these things you're talking about, instead of being this amazing tool that can be either a survival tool or give you great mobility and freedom, either with your work life or just with weekenders and vacations, it can be that, but there's no reason for it to be that. You've got all these great DVDs. You actually put together kind of a special uh, discount for folks listening today. I did. I got to thinking about this, and I thought, you know what? I, I want to reach out and say, hey, guys, you don't have to back away from this thing. You can do it yourself. So what we did is, for the Survival Podcast listeners, what I did is I put together a pack, and it's it's four DVDs. It's the RV maintenance, and then, of course, if you want to buy the RV walkthrough, you know, the guided tour, you can have that one as well. But here's the code I want to give you for this podcast listeners. If you use SPC2010, Sierra Papa Charlie 2010, I'll give you 10% off. And so that way... I know that we're making headway because I'm telling you, folks, the phone calls and emails that I get tell me that people are saying, I want to learn, I can do this, but somebody, please, just give me a little insight how this thing works. And so if you just go to the website, hey, let's get you started on this thing because there's no sense of you out here ruining the vacation when you don't have to. <laughs> I mean, and I really think it's a great offer. I appreciate you doing that. Uh We've kind of rung out most of an hour here, um, and I'm going to want, like I said, I'm going to want to have you back on, and we'll talk more about how an RV can be used specifically as a survival tool, and how to how to maybe set up your RV as a prepper and get with some customization. But the information you've gave given us today is really awesome, and and I really appreciate you being here. Um, any final thoughts you have on RVs in general and people making that decision? If Does it fit my life or not? Well, you know what? If you're even thinking seriously that, hey, I, I've got to find me another way to get out of town rather than just a backpack on my back, take a look at this. But you want to buy it for more than just something to bug out with. Buy it for something that you can use for relaxation and enjoy because, quite honestly, this really is. As far as I'm concerned, this is the number one survival tool is an RV. And, you know, I think it fits the show model pretty well. You can live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't there, right? Um, as, as we are wrapping up, I do want to encourage people 
to please go check out your website, and that's where they can find that special deal or buy that packing and get that special deal. And I'll link directly to that from the show notes as well. But the overall website is mobilerveacademy.com. And again, I'll link to that in the show notes. Folks, there is a wealth of knowledge on this side. It's amazing how you've even got information on things like there's a lot of people out there buying these FEMA trailers. You got a ton of information on you've gone and done it. Now what do you got to do to make it right? And, uh, I mean, there's some, there's some interesting surprises with FEMA trailers. People, I know people have bought them side unseen and go, where's the rest of the windows? You know, I mean, it's, it's down to that level. So please check out the professor's website again, mobilerveacademy.com. Make sure that uh, you check out that special offer. And again, uh, that discount code he gave you was uh, Sierra Pop- Papa Charlie 2010, uh, and that'll get you 10% off on a four disc set. And uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you before you went how do you feel about the concept? And I've given a lot of people this advice. I don't know really whether it's good or bad, but you might want to go out and rent yourself an RV for a, a week and go out and camp with it and see what it's like and learn what from a real world what you like and what you don't like and uh, that might make a better decision when you actually are putting down permanent money absolutely if you if you don't have a relative that owns one please do yourself a favor and like you said go and rent one because you'll be surprised what you find after you've been in it a little while what you like and what you didn't like very cool well hey again Terry thank you for being with us here today and uh, with that I will wrap up this has been uh, Jack Spirico and America's RV expert today and uh, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't let me show you a better way Yeah.